If you were to head to the small town of Enterprise, Alabama, you would see perhaps the most interesting statue that you've ever seen. There in the middle of the downtown, there's this statue of a, a Greek woman holding a bowl above her head, and inside of the bowl is a giant bug. In fact, this bug is a boll weevil. And they, the boll weevil, you might ask, why would you have this sort of, of statue there in Enterprise, Alabama? There's a plaque that reads, in profound appreciation of the boll weevil and what it has done as the herald of prosperity. This monument was erected by the citizens of Enterprise, Coffee County, Alabama. So why would they have a statue to a bug? Well, in the early 1900s in South Alabama, much of the land was farmland, just like it is today, except then they were growing cotton. That is until the year 1915 when the boll weevil came into the area and devastated all of the crops there in Enterprise, Alabama. And so the next year in 1916, there's a farmer by the name of C.W. Baston who decided to, instead of planting another crop of cotton, he decided to plant peanuts that year. And his peanuts were very successful. They were so successful that he was able to pay off all of his previous year's debts and make a lot of money. So the next year in 1917, a lot of other farmers in the county also decided that they would plant peanuts. And over one million bushels of peanuts were produced that year. So the city dedicated a monument as a reminder of how the people adjusted in the face of adversity. They learned that what first came as a curse could end up being a blessing. That the disruption of one thing in their lives could be the eruption of something else. Now COVID-19 has certainly been a disruption. Is that an understatement? It's been devastating in many ways in our country and our personal lives all around the world. And I'm not suggesting today that we need to erect a coronavirus statue anywhere, but what if this awful disease were an opportunity for us to refine and to refocus our mission as the church? What if it were an opportunity for us to be even more laser-focused, even more effective for the kingdom? What if it were the eruption of the church? Today, as we begin a new series called The New Normal, I want to, over the next three weeks, talk about what it means for us to be disciples and make disciples, how we as a church are going to love God and love our community and, and love the world. And we're going to be presenting to you as a church a vision, a 2025 vision, that, that what we're praying and hoping that God would do in our church over the next five years. And this is a vision that we've been praying for even before all this happened. But what this pandemic has allowed us to do is to even pray and to, and to focus even more on what it is that God is calling us to do. And the, the impetus behind this vision is our love for God. We desire to see the Lord glorified in our lives, in our church, in our city, all over the world. We want to see his kingdom come. And so we have set lofty goals to reach by the year 2025. These are goals that we will not reach if we maintain the status quo. 
These are goals that we will not reach in our own power. We must call upon and receive the power of the Lord for these things to happen. And so on the screen and on your screen at home, you're going to see uh, two of the six measurable goals that we're going to set for 2025. The first one is this, that we would average 2,000 people in worship attendance as a church, as, as a group of churches. That's a lofty goal, especially now that there's been a pandemic, right? 2,000 people in worship attendance. Now, prior to uh, this pandemic, we would have typically between 1,100 and 1,200 people that would worship with us at Wallace and Cumberland each Sunday. And so this would mean that we would need to increase by 400 people at this campus, by 100 people at the Cumberland campus, that we would start new campuses that would, that would increase by 300 people over the next five years. That's a lot of, that's a big goal. That's a big goal. And I want you to hear me when I say this. Some people get, get weird when you start talking about numbers of people that come to church, Right? When I talk about wanting to see 2,000 people worshiping the Lord on Sunday mornings at Wallace and at Cumberland and whatever campuses that the Lord might add, it's not because I want us to be have our name in the paper or anything like that. It's because it's 2,000 souls, okay? It's 2,000 people who without Jesus would spend eternity in hell apart from the Lord. And so we care about numbers. We care about a lot of people hearing the gospel and trusting in Jesus as a Savior and worshiping him. So I don't feel bad about putting numbers out there, okay? And so we're, we're shooting for that many people to be a part of, of our church family. And that's a high goal. But there are over 300,000 people in Knox County right now that are not connected to any church. Over 300,000. And so for us to get to 2,000 might not be a big enough goal. But that's what we're going to shoot for. The second one that we're going to present to you this morning is that we would have four physical campuses with a language congregation on each campus. Now right now we have two physical campuses. There's this campus at Wallace. And then there's a campus over on Western Avenue, our Cumberland campus. And our Cumberland campus already has a language congregation that meets there with them, Iglesia Knox, which is a Spanish-speaking congregation. And so for us to achieve this goal by the year 2025, it would mean that we would need to, to add two new campuses before then uh, that would have language campuses as part of it, language congregation as part of it, and that we would need to add a language congregation here. And right now we have, as one of our apprentices, Pastor Nidal Arnouk, who is a pastor who came here from Syria, uh, who, is, who we are hoping is going to, to grow an Arabic congregation that would meet here on our campus. You say, why Arabic? Because that is one of the larger unreached people groups that's right here in our community right now. Spanish and Arabs are living right here around us, right around our physical church building. And so we want to reach them with the gospel. We have a heart as a church to continue to, to bring revitalization to churches in our city that are struggling, that are dying, just like we did at Cumberland. And so we're praying that God would open up two other opportunities in the next five years to do that in other neighborhoods in our city. And that our, as we do that, we would blanket our city with the gospel and with reaching different languages of people that God has brought to the city of Knoxville. 
And so this is, this is the first two of six measurables that we're going to outline over the next three weeks. But this is the vision that God has placed on our hearts. So how are we going to get there? We're going to get there by living out our mission to be disciples and to make disciples in this new context. And so today we're going to focus on what it's going to look like for us to love God. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask that you'd stand in honor of God's word, if you're able, from Romans chapter 12 in verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the word of God says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Thank you. You can be seated. Today, I want us to consider in our minds and in our hearts what it looks like for us to love God in this new normal. And so when we think about that, in this passage of scripture, we are shown the cause of our worship. He says to us, Paul does, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. And so a a hermeneutical principle is always to Read a verse in its context. And so this verse begins with that transition, therefore. And that's an alert to us that what is coming is built upon what was before. Based on all this that I've said, therefore this should be the case. And when you read through the book of Romans, Paul has been making a thorough argument about the work of salvation that God has done for us. We call it the Romans road. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he tells us that that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we go, oh my goodness, I I thought we were made to have a relationship to God. I thought we were supposed to to know God. So this is a a problem here that we've all sinned and that we fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 5, verse 8, the Bible says, God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And so God addressed this problem. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you say, well, that's, that's incredible. I mean, why, why did he do that? Romans 6, 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so although the penalty for our sin is death, Jesus died for us, and he gives us this gift of salvation. You go, well, does that mean that I don't have to suffer the, these consequences of death anymore. In Romans 8, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You say, well, is, is that, could that be true even for me? Romans 10, verse 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so when you're reading through Romans, you see Paul making this argument all the way through, showing us the gospel. And then you arrive at chapter 12, which is a turning point in the letter to the Romans. One commentator says that it it marks the transition from the theology of God's redemptive act in Christ to the ethical expectations that flow from that base. So in other words, because of this, you should do this. And so Paul writes, in light of all that God has done to save you, in view of the mercies of God. That's what he says here in verse 1. 
in view of the mercies of God. When you consider where you came from, when you understand who you were apart from Christ, when you understand the transcendent majesty of God, when you consider his awesome power, when you behold all of him, uh, behold him in his glory, his willingness to humble himself and to uh, come and redeem sinful man, when you begin to grasp his amazing grace that he's shown toward you, he says the only thing that you can do is fall on your knees in worship of him. John Owen said that we're never nearer Christ than when we find ourselves lost in a holy amazement at his unspeakable love. So he says, therefore, in view of the mercies of God, how could we, in, in view of the mercies of God, stand there with arms folded and hearts cold toward God? How could we, in view of the mercies of God, Sit unmoved as the word of God is proclaimed. How could we, in view of the mercies of God, not pour out our hearts in thanksgiving to him? How could we, in view of the mercies of God, not sing his praises? How could we, in view of the mercies of God, not give our everything to him? Now, in this new normal, Christians who truly live out their faith and are going to stand out more than ever because what this pandemic has done is it's shaken out cultural Christianity. And so if you're on fire for the Lord and you're telling others about how he's changed your life and you're sharing the gospel hope with other people, you're going to be strange. You're going to be different. How could we not, in view of the mercies of God, share the hope that's within us? And so this is the cause of worship that Paul outlines for us here in verse 1. The second thing that we see is the call to worship. He says, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, because of what he has done for us, I'm urging you, pleading with you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is the call to worship. That understanding all that God has done, how merciful that he's been to us, he says, I'm begging you to give yourself to the Lord, to present your body as a living sacrifice. He says, this is the most natural thing that you could do because this is what you were made to do. To give yourself to God. Now Paul uses a metaphor here from the Old Testament Throughout the Old Testament, we find the Hebrew people going there to the Temple Mount and coming before God in worship with sacrifices. And they would, they would bring a, an animal there to sacrifice for their sin. And the animal would be slaughtered. The blood would be poured out as a substitute for the sin of the people. And frankly, this is a very graphic and sobering reminder for the people of the holiness of God and the gravity of their sin. They literally saw before their eyes that the wages of their sin was death. And year after year, the priest would would offer these sacrifices before God on behalf of the Israelite people until Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the Old Testament sacrificial system through his own death on the cross. 
Hebrews chapter 10 describes it like this in verse 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And so he says Jesus has fulfilled this sacrifice for us. That Jesus is the all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. So we no longer have to, to bring and offer sacrifices here. No one showed up today with a goat or a, or a pigeon under their arms to come in to worship. So what is it that Paul is urging us to, to do in this passage? He's, he's urging us to present our lives as a living sacrifice. Now that's different. No one in the Old Testament ever offered a living sacrifice. They were all killed. They were all slaughtered. But because Jesus was killed as the sacrifice in our place, we are called to put our trust, our faith in him, and to offer our lives to him. And so Paul is saying, in in view of God's mercies, you should present yourself to God, to say to God, take my life. I belong to you. So what does that look like then? Looks like you giving yourself to God. Looks like a a vibrant relationship with God. Like your life belongs to Him. That there's nothing that you wouldn't do for God. That there's nowhere that you wouldn't go for God. In order to have this sort of connection, this sort of vibrant relationship with God, you have to spend time with Him. Personally, you have to spend time reading His Word as God speaks to us by His Word. You have to spend time with him in prayer as God hears our prayers and answers them in prayer. We do this by serving God, by using the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the passions that he's created within us to serve him and to glorify him. Corporately, we do this by gathering with our church family to worship him together. Now this pandemic has has taught us some things about how we do church that, that, are, that have shifted now as we go forward. For example, one thing that we've learned is that online connections are really important. Many of our people, that's the only connection that they still have with us because they have health conditions or, or, or they're just not able to, to come out into public gatherings like this yet. And so online connections have become extremely important. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit that prior to this, I viewed online services sort of like they were a billboard on the, on the interstate. You know, it was like you're hoping that people will drive by and take a look at it and maybe one day they'll come to church, right? I mean, that's, that's sort of, I'm just being honest, that's kind of how I, I looked at it. And that certainly happens, but online is much more than that because we have thousands of people who are, watching our online services every week. And so how do we be disciples and make disciples of all of those people? And so how do we have meaningful engagement? How does discipling occur online? These are questions that we've been wrestling with. And it's caused us to improve our equipment and what the online service looks like 
It's caused us to be mindful of people who are worshiping online in addition to people who are worshiping in the room. It's caused us to provide ways for people who aren't in the room to respond to the gospel and to respond to the worship. It's caused us to figure out how to do students and kids worship online. It's caused us to figure out how to do Catalyst and connect groups online. Our ministry has moved beyond the building. Before, if you wanted to be a part of a, of a Catalyst class, you had to be on this campus on Sunday nights at 5 or Wednesday nights at 6. And if you weren't here at those times, you, weren't, you didn't learn it. You weren't in it, Right? But now we're saying you don't have to be on campus necessarily to participate in a, in a Catalyst class. Because they're online now, you can learn on the way to work. You can learn as you're sitting in bed at night before you go to sleep. You can learn during your lunch break. You can do it whenever you want to. And so we've created a, a hybrid of on-campus and online ministry. A second lesson that we learned during this pandemic was about Sundays itself. The early church recognized the first day of the week as the Lord's Day. They set it apart as a day of worship, as a day of Sabbath rest. And to be honest, for, for many of us, we experienced that rest maybe for the first time during this pandemic. One refrain I heard from many people over and over is that we didn't realize how busy we were. And this, this whole ordeal kind of caused us to really slow down. We spent more time with our family. We spent more time getting to know our neighbors. And as I talked with a lot of different people, one of the things that they said over and over that they hoped would continue, even when this pandemic is behind us, is that they would keep that slower pace, that they would maintain that, that family time. And if we're honest, the church wasn't a lot different. Our church's calendar was jammed with events, and meetings almost every single day of the week. And there was sort of this expectation that you would worship on Sunday mornings, that you'd worship on Sunday nights, that you'd worship on Wednesday nights, that you'd go to whatever other meetings you had during the week. And in your spare time, we wanted you to be a part of a D group and to share the gospel with people in your life. And, and church folks are kind of like, what, what's this thing you call spare time, right? I mean, when is that? And I understand because if I were honest, if I attended every event that our gathering, that our church did, I'd be a really bad father. So we have decided to help that. As we go forward, we want you to be a part of Sunday morning worship. We want you to be a part of Wednesday night classes and activities. But we're going to be setting aside Sunday nights as a time for you to rest. As a time for you to spend time with your family as a time for you to invite people into your home. And you're going to hear a lot more about that next week as we talk about loving our community, inviting people into your home. A time for you to gather with your D group. A time that you can go out with your love community team and share the gospel in the city. But we're creating space for you to be disciples and to make disciples. And so that means there's not going to be any regular activities on Sunday nights on campus that the church would be going beyond the building. Now, we'll still have family reunions once a quarter, 
And some of the activities that were happening on Sunday nights will be moved to earlier on Sunday afternoons, like our Hallelujah Chorus and our kids and student choirs, once those things begin again, uh, with our Bible drill and things like that. But we want Sundays to be a day of worship and to be a day of rest, so that we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. So this is the call to worship. The third thing that we see in this passage this morning is the character of our worship. And I want you to notice what Paul says at the end of that verse. He says, I'm urging you, I'm pleading with you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And listen to the description, holy and pleasing to God. He says, this is your true worship, holy and pleasing to God. And so Paul is qualifying the type of sacrifice that we're to make. It should be one that's holy and that's pleasing to God. That word holy there means sacred. It means consecrated. It means set apart. And so that's how we're supposed to describe our lives that we're offering to the Lord for his purposes. With the Old Testament sacrifices, you were supposed to bring... Uh, an animal without spot or without blemish. You didn't bring, um, you know, the the one-eyed lamb with the gimp leg in the case of the mange up for worship. You know, that's not what you brought. You brought the best that you had to give to the Lord. Uh, You didn't have to offer what what you had left over or what you could squeeze in. You gave God your very best. We're saying that that this offering of worship to the Lord is about serving Him. But loving God is also about obedience to Him. That we would be holy and pleasing to God. John 14, 15 says, Jesus says, If you love me, then you'll keep my commands. If we love God, then we'll obey Him. The inverse is also true. If you don't obey Him, then you don't love Him. We might say that we do, but our actions are telling a different story. And this might be the area where we really struggle the most, is in obedience. What God has told us to do, we don't do. What God's told us not to do, we do. I mean, that's what Paul even says that. So what is it that we are offering to God then? Is it a sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to him? One preacher said that the problem with offering our lives as a living sacrifice is that sometimes we get up and walk off the altar. (laughs) That we have a a desire to worship God. I mean, that's why we're on the altar, but we've got up and walked off at some point. Maybe we've allowed our lives to become cluttered with other activities that have stolen our affection from the Lord. Maybe we've just sort of checked out for a little while. Maybe you've allowed some sin to enter into your life that's pulling you away from God. Maybe you only ever gave God a a, a part of yourself. Here's the deal. God is not worthy of part-time worship. God's not worthy of second place. God's not worthy of being ignored for a little while. God is worthy of our worship, our heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of who we are. And during these past few months, many people have struggled in this area. We've sort of struggled in our our personal lives. 
when it, when it all began, we thought to ourselves, this is great. We're going to have a second week of spring break. Y'all remember that? And that's how this all began. We were like, this is awesome. We're going to have a, a second week of spring break. And we ate lots of junk food, and we began to binge on TV shows, and then it sort of began to drag on. And we read the entire internet, right? And we watched every show on Netflix, and on Hulu, and on Amazon Prime. We put on our COVID-19 pounds, and, and, and sort of got really out of shape. But we also fell out of habits like Bible studying. And prayer. And we began to struggle with some other destructive habits. Because this is what statistics are saying about this these last five months. Alcohol use has gone through the roof during this time. Because people are sitting at home bored. That pornography has skyrocketed. That suicide rates have risen. We've wasted enormous amounts of time on frivolous things. Now, we've also done some things like home repairs and cleaning things that you never got around to. Some of you have done a garden and things like that. We've done some useful things as well. But in a lot of ways, we've let ourselves go. And what we thought was just a few weeks has turned into months and There's really no end in sight. This is the new normal. But we're called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God. Are those the words that you'd use to describe what you've been offering lately? If not, then it's time to get back on track. And so Christians today, we've been challenged to love God with our whole selves. We've been charged to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. And maybe today the Holy Spirit has convicted you about areas of your life that need to change so that you'd love God better. Maybe what I just described about how this pandemic has gone was really kind of a a fitting description of how your life has gone. And you realize today, hey, I've got to get, get back on track. I've I've fallen off the the wagon here. And so maybe you want to spend some time at your seat or here at this altar in prayer. Maybe some of those goals that we talked about at the beginning for the vision for our church, you want to pray for those things as we're trying to, to reach those measurable goals over the next five years. There may be some here today who need to begin a relationship with God in view of the mercies of God. Would you respond today by repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life? Recognizing that, yes, I have sin in my life and, and, and as I've been at home alone and, and spent time in my thoughts over these last few months, it's become more pronounced. I, I've recognized even more my sinfulness and, and that I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. And today you can call on Jesus the one who died on the cross to pay the price for your sins and for mine, who died and was buried in the grave because the penalty for our sin is death, but he rose from the dead, conquering our sin, conquering death, so that we can have life instead. And today you can experience that life in in your heart if you would trust in Jesus to forgive you and give your life to him as a living sacrifice to follow after him.
And so in a moment, we're going to have leaders across the back. I'll be here at the front. If this is a decision that you want to make, I want to encourage you to come and to share with us today that, that you, want to, you want to trust in Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you're watching online, and this is a decision that you want to make. Then I want to encourage you to grab your phone and text the word DECIDE to the number 865-234-3241. You can do that in the room here as well. But let us know that this is a decision that you want to make in your heart and that this is something that God is doing in your life today. But however God is speaking to you now, this is the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you today for this time to worship you. Lord, as we think about what it means to to love God, I pray that you would help us in this new normal, in this new environment that we live in, as everything around us is shifting and changing, as that bumper video shared, we, we go to school differently, we go to the grocery store differently, we come to church differently now. And so, Lord, what does it look like for us to be disciples and make disciples in this, in this environment? God, help us to have clarity, help us to have vision, help us to be faithful in the midst of difficult circumstances. Lots of really hard things going on. Hard decisions being made all over the place. So God, help us to trust in you and rely on you and to seek you in all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray.